Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking Sony Pictures Classics Awards contender Little Daddy. <laughs> Little Daddy. Which would have been a more interesting title. It might have drawn some more interest. Is this like Two Popes Part 2? Right. <laughs> Where's Anthony Hopkins been? What's he been doing lately that's been distinguished? <laughs> well, he's kind of old. I mean, I hope hopefully he's resting on his laurels and enjoying life. Uh, I was wondering how many takes of the tap dancing scene he did because he he went all out for that. Yeah, he had he had to train for months. He had he was on wires. They they employed <laughs> well, well. CG. Uh, it kind of looked more flamenco-y than it did tap dancey. Yeah, I have no idea. If you're super old and you're doing don't all dancing kind of look the same, he could have been doing the robot for all I know. But by extension, I'm anxious to talk to you about this movie because nothing much happens in The Father. As a matter of fact, I would venture that nothing happens at all in The Father. They eat some chicken, he puts on some sweaters, and that's kind of all that happens. I am guessing, dear brother, that you are referencing Relic. Which drew opposing reviews. Yes, I think it's worth a comparison. And I think The Father is the scary movie that Relic should have been. You know, I'm kind of on board with that because I didn't know going in what Relic was going to be about. It seemed like a thriller with a missing mom and then she comes back and things are definitely wrong and off kilter. And we can feel that tension throughout. And I wasn't, I expected a little domestic tale of an aging man. But when things started to go wrong, started to turn to be off a little bit, I didn't know where we were headed. Yeah, it's kind of the idea, right? This is a dementia story from the perspective of the demented. Except like Anthony's character, and there's the Anthony-Anthony controversy, but Florian Zeller stated in a couple of interviews that he, he maintains that Anthony Hopkins was his first choice and the character was in fact named uh, from the stage play, the father being a stage play from 2012, that it was he was named for Anthony Hopkins. So that's a get, huh? Florian Zeller wrote the stage play and at its inception wrote the character of Anthony for Anthony Hopkins. And then when he adapted it for the screen, he then got Anthony Hopkins for the film. As I understand it, yes, except that Florian Zeller is French and the play was performed in French. And he said that if oh. he didn't get Anthony Hopkins for the movie role, he would have just done the movie in French. Interesting. Basically, the father puts the real life horrors of dementia front and center, whereas Relic had all this mumbo jumbo shenanigans about another presence in the house and 
Dobby, E.T. Edna. Edna. (laughs) It had just got confused, which I think is a term we're going to use a lot in this review. But this movie was truly horrifying and sad. As I was trying to gain my footing in this movie, like we did for Relic, I found it difficult to do. You are either continually kept off balance by the movie or the movie carries you along. And the movie carries you along like an unsteady boat in that you have to find the rhythm or it's not going to be a pleasant experience, which I gather that Relic wasn't for you. And you have to understand that you're being propelled along so that you're in Anthony's shoes a lot of the time. Yeah, the father is a perspective shift from Relic. But you keep on talking like, I didn't get Relic. I got Relic. It just, there was no there there. I think your misunderstanding of Relic is not your understanding of the movie, but rather your understanding of my perception of the movie, which is not that, oh, it was profound because it was about dementia. It was more that as a standalone where we didn't have the dementia context, which was a little bit confusing. And I'm not sure that all their visuals and the metaphor of dementia worked soundly as just a direct horror movie i thought it was effective i thought it was atmospheric creepy disarming uh disorienting and and kind of chilling this one was never meant to be a horror movie but it achieves that which i think is its strength because it's not ham-handed and just like the movie itself uh plot wise i was also thrown a little bit by the music i thought that the opera was a strange choice up top even a little goofy and then when the score comes in later and it undercut it provides the undercurrent for the first scene with the paul character you're like what's happening and it mirrors anthony's experience pretty closely and it was really effective in that way but it's deceptive and strangely off initially the opera tonally that that's what i felt and so i was bracing myself to be annoyed and confused which i was a lot of the time but in a much more effective way i think than it was for Relic. Definitely unsettling. What did you say? Annoying and and what? I, don't, I can't said... remember. My brain is not what it used to be. <laughs> but you were saying that this was annoying a lot of the time. And Brian watched this with me. And he lasted for all of The Wolf of Snow Hollow. But he did not last for all of The Father. Interesting. And he gave me his review on The Father. And it was brilliant, well-performed, and unwatchable. I don't know if he just wasn't in the mood, but like he found this to be so utterly annoying that he left. I mean, I can understand that because I was waiting to determine whether or not I was comfortable watching this film. There's a difference between being unsettled as horror convention goes and being able to unnerve you in a thrilling way. And then there's this makes me feel uncomfortable and unpleasant and I don't want to watch it. Right, because the desired effect of the filmmakers was we want you to feel uncomfortable and unpleasant. Yes, but and not... And confused. Yeah, but in a sad, reflective way. It's more about understanding the dementia than it is suffering from it. It's it's we have a perspective that the Anthony character doesn't have that allows for us to say, that's unfortunate. We eventually come to realize both sides of the story and ultimately what is causing him to have the shift between the Anna and the Paul character. And at first it's jarring, but when it comes around, then we have the perspective to understand as opposed to be horrified by. I do think that the ultimate intention was to inspire sympathy and empathy 
we're definitely inspired to feel for these characters. And then the final scene is like the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Like they want us to walk away sympathizing with how truly difficult this is for everyone involved, but especially those affected with dementia. It's just a shame. Like, you know, I was waiting for her to pull his skin apart and uh, take it in a completely different direction. <laughs> or Nurse Catherine in it in the last minute twist to call him little daddy. Ooh, that would have been unsettling. You know, for all of the character switcheroos, I think I got it down. Olivia Coleman is Anne. And whenever there was another Anne, it was an Anne imposter. Laura. Anne Poster. Laura was Lucy, the sister who had passed in the accident, was the character Laura. And that the first Paul, the ugly one, as Brian put it, was Bill, the nurse Uh at the institution. And the other Laura was Catherine, the other nurse. Yes. And if I have that straight, then I don't know who the second Paul was, the douchey one, who was kind of good looking. I think that was the actual Paul. In the same way that Olivia Coleman was the actual Anne. So here's the interesting thing about that. Because you, like myself, watched it with the captions on. The Rufus Sewell character of Paul with the dark hair, the non-ugly one, I guess, as Brian would put it, was betrayed as Paul by the subtitles. Whereas in the credits, Mark Gatiss, the Bill character at the end, was credited as the man. Because for the entire movie until the very end, he's not revealed as Bill. We assume he is Paul because we're corrected when he calls him James or something. James. Yeah. But he's not because he's Bill. So he's the mysterious man. Whereas Paul, Rufus Sewell was actually Paul, except they never said his name. Only the subtitles betrayed his name. If the second Paul was actually Paul, then who is the mystery man in Paris? So I don't know. When I talked about whether or not I was carried along with this film, I was always bracing and preparing myself to get lost and frustrated because like Anthony, we were in his mental maze, not to further compare it to Relic, but all this looping and turning and inverting of his own logic and the anachronisms, which was a story convention that brought Memento to mind. You have these markers where you can identify the chicken and things to where you're like, okay, well, this is the conversation that they just had earlier, but we're approaching it for the first time in a disorienting way. I was always on the edge of, I don't think I would have actually walked away, but still I would have kind of given this movie up and being like, okay, well, it lost me. I can see that every jump cut, every time we had a first person perspective and we're literally turning corners, I fully anticipated it to be a different time, a different place, or a different person. I was definitely bracing for those unsettling turn of events. And then you start to see the visuals replayed and you start to, and you get that the first visual, which I don't know was his perspective or her perspective or just fancy where she was smothering him or strangling him or both. Mm -hmm. And then you see that same shot where she's touching his face Mm -hmm. and you immediately have those stirrings in a really effective way where you're, you suddenly lost your footing again. When it's nothing more than her humming him a lullaby and touching his face, but you have those undercurrents of dread that have been established. Because the story is so predominantly told from Antony's perspective, we don't get a lot of time with Olivia Coleman without his presence. Yeah. But we get get glimpses, right? We're, We're in the dining room when she and Paul are having the debate about putting him in an institution before... Anthony actually arrives, right? We see her in the kitchen kind of looking out the window dreamily so that we can establish where she is when Paul starts to beat on Anthony 
which was horrible. And, and her entering the bedroom was this weird third person perspective that we didn't get a ton of in this film. So it's hard to know where that played in, whether it was his fear or if it was her kind of seething, sublimated underlying desire. He was our narrator and among the most unreliable ever in cinema. And so when he wasn't <laughs> present, I was like, is this, is this actually happening? Is this a manifestation of his imagination of what's happening, what he perceives the conversation to be in a room in which he's not present? I couldn't trust the perspectives. And that it was obvious, though, we weren't it wasn't like, ah, we got you, because very clearly they folded back on themselves relatively quickly in a way that we are established. You're not supposed to trust and we're not trying to pull anything over on you. Right. Olivia Coleman not being present, as much as Anthony was the narrator figure, she was responsible for everything else. Like she didn't get enough credit for the load that was on her shoulders because you can see her pained expression when he first brings up Lucy. And I think the wish and of all the things that I was certain about, the only thing I was absolutely certain about was Lucy was long dead. Right. Right. You're like, oh, yeah, Lucy's dead for sure. And you can you can see that on Olivia Coleman's face in a very subtle way. And you can see how frustrated she is with Paul when he's making little jabs at Anthony and she gets up and pull, takes the chicken away. And so I think that her conveyance of a lot of the subtext. No more chicken for you. And I think her conveyance of a lot of the subtext was hugely important and effective in this movie. She's really, really good. Olivia Coleman as an actor does create almost all of the sympathy here. She is such a sympathetic character for the position that she's in and the way that she's bearing the brunt of her father's illness. I mean, I, I don't know that she's not given her due because I think that both Olivia Coleman and Anthony will be recognized for these performances. Anthony Hopkins, whoa. His performance is maybe a little bit more obvious, but it's no less brilliant. I mean, the way he manages the cover-ups where he's like pretending to keep it together and he's like, oh, um, I don't know who this person is, but uh, we're having guests tonight. You know, he finds this like way of getting around his total confusion, the meanness and the jabs that he takes, his denial of his problems, like it's all in there. I regarded him in the 90s as one of my favorites and one of the finest actors working. Until I read an article where they asked him how he chose his roles, and he said the money. So that's frankly it. It's the money. The most, the one that pays me is the one I take. And I was like, oh man, that sucks. You're Sir Anthony Hopkins. And then the biggest credit I think that I can give to the father is that this film kind of gave me Anthony Hopkins back. It renewed my confidence in his ability to not just do it for the paycheck, because he could have played this simpler, much more contemplative, much easier, but he really went for it. And I don't know if it's a credit to his acting or the editing to make us feel what Anthony was going through, but it was extremely effective. And I don't think he missed a beat. And the way I can gauge that is that The Father was a play. And we talked about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and how the theatricality felt intact. Didn't feel like they made good use of the visual medium of cinema. And mm -hmm. in this case, I didn't feel it didn't feel monologue to me. It felt mm -hmm. measured. It felt appropriately timed and atmospheric that I felt I got lost and it didn't feel stagey. And I think they used all the best cinematic conventions 
to bring a stage play to life in a way that's much harder to do with a fixed set. When I found out that it was a stage play, that it was adapted from a play, I was like, yeah, that makes total sense. It felt super contained to me, like to a claustrophobic point. And I'm not sure if that was the filmmaker's intention, which it may have been, if that was it being an adaptation of a stage play, or if it's just because I don't need another Groundhog Day quarantine tale because I'm living Groundhog Day quarantine tale right now. It maybe was all three. It didn't feel claustrophobic like they were trying to confine us, but rather these are his limitations, unfortunately. He's confined in his body, in his mind, in his apartment. And you feel for him and you're sympathetic, but we're still young enough to where we can say, look at that, she's going to switch everything up and, and continue to live her brand new love life in Paris. And she's chasing her dreams and looking forward to a future that's no longer an option for him. Like, it's not going to get better. It didn't feel claustrophobic. It felt too pressingly real. Hmm. It wasn't like the walls were closing in on me. It was more like, yeah, it's just a little too close to home where the days fold in on each other. It's just like a, an oppressive finality, kind of. But speaking of setting... He was arguably in the institution the entire time, right? Mm, I don't think so. I think that the memories, I think that he may have been remembering the flat. But I've thought about this. I didn't watch this one with Kelly. I wasn't feeling great last night, so I actually watched it just now. I got up, put it in. Oh, wow. Be- super fresh. Yeah. But because I watched this by myself and because I'm not a lady, I wasn't paying attention to things like the clothes or the setting in the flat. So when she said, oh, you're mixing up this flat with your flat, or when Paul said, you came to live with us, it's not me in your flat, it's you in my flat, you know, paraphrasing, did you get a sense for where he was, did the flat feel like a real place, a constant? Did you <laughs> feel that shift? If I were inclined and motivated to take a second look at this film, I would definitely be monitoring the set because I kind of think the set changes. It does. From scene to scene. And it's really, really unsettling because it's so subtle and the color palette is totally consistent that you don't really register it right off the bat. But I think there are subtle changes to the set throughout the film that really create this super eerie feel. And when the when the flat itself starts to blend with the doctor's office and then the institution, it gets truly vertigo-inducing, terrifying, scary. The doctor's office chairs appear in the entryway in the foyer, and it's like, what is happening? And the, the kitchen design subtly changes. Like, it's, it's very weird. Maybe I wanted to believe at the end that he was in the institution the entire time and that he was only remembering the flat because that's the only way I can make sense of how that changed. It did change, and so your perception was correct. I was being fooled by my memory. I wasn't like, no, that's different. They're definitely changing on me. I wasn't sure, because I wasn't paying attention originally to the to the flat, to the furnishings and stuff. And so good on you for picking up all that. Specifically, good on you for picking up the color changes, which Florian Zeller actually mentioned. The color scheme does subtly shift, which is something that I didn't even get close to perceiving. And and I think that that was the strength of the ability to make this as a movie, where you can change things 
without having to change the physical set, you know, in the middle of a stage production. I, I kind of took it as more of not trusting my own memory. I wrote down Pulp Fiction for seniors for the anachronisms, uh, glitches in the <laughs> Matrix. And so at a point when I became... The pretty good films. When I started to become aware that things were wrong for me, I started to question how effective this narrative was. So Brian from the opening shot was teetering on the edge of if he was going to bail. And eventually he did. And I wonder if you have to be in a little bit more of a open, meditative, contemplative mood to accept this film for all of its real life horrors. Um, I definitely wasn't going to bail. The father did keep me. I felt like I could track the theme. I understood the intention and I was curious to see how that continued to play out. And maybe I was also a little bit more aware of atmosphere and and to a certain extent color because we recently watched and reviewed Sling Blade. And I remember in an interview with Billy Bob Thornton, him mentioning that he hates the color red and that red does not occur in his entire film. And I noticed the distinct absence of red in The Father. And that just kind of cued me overall to be aware of the subtle shifts in the color palette and how that was used to, to use your word, make the world even more disorienting. And, and so that way you are a more established, mature moviegoer. And I think this was a very mature film because that fear, the unstoppable march towards decay and age, is not a concern that young people have. And it's not a mindset or a mood that a younger filmmaker would maybe want to inhabit. And so when that happens, you get a much more obvious rendering in Relic, uh, where the themes become twisted and changed into something more applicable for contemporary movie viewers. And maybe I was in the best possible place. Maybe I was fresh and had all my faculties about me, you know, early in the morning, got sat down by myself and watched this first thing. And, and maybe I was in the right emotional receptive place to receive this movie. Or maybe we're just the right audience for this. So Florian Zeller is 41 years old. Yeah. And probably has aging why, parents. Why you got to do that? What? Why you got to make him obviously younger than me? <laughs> wow, you are so obsessed with your age. <sighs> Perhaps he has aging parents. Um, we have parents in their mid to late 70s. And Brian has a parent in his 80s. And Kelly had a parent in his 90s. Obviously, in watching this, like, mom and dad were on my mind. And when Paul got particularly snippy, I was like, are you going to be like this when I'm taking care of my parents? And this might be my world at some point. And maybe just because kind of our ages, this is a place in life where this story resonates with us. I hate to admit that that might be the case. And I don't want to make it about, you know, anything personal. I've... Uh, experienced a little bit of this and it, this movie gives you the perspective of why old people are frustrated when they don't feel listened to or appreciated when paul dismisses his ramblings about the watch i was actually kind of surprised when he was like so what about the watch and he's given some credence to his ramblings because to him he was like i don't know your dad was focused on my watch it was weird but we know from experience that he's paranoid about his watch being stolen that he manufactures these 
scenarios in which he's justified in telling off or getting rid of a caregiver if that was what actually happened. Every time that he was upset, we understood why, which I think is a luxury not afforded a lot of old people who are just regarded by younger society as senile and being foolish, doddering old people. You know, it's not that these processes in their brains aren't well established and it's not their emotions aren't short circuiting. Their memory and their ability to reason becomes compromised and their emotions based on that frustration is very real. And I think that the Catherine character handled it appropriately, not condescending, not snippy, uh, you know, does what won't allow for personal attacks, but understands that he's upset and that there's nothing really that can be done. My natural reaction is to logic my way through everything, and that can't be done. So she just holds him and tries to reassure him and says, whatever you're going through in a minute, I promise you'll feel better, which is the best you can do. You can't discount a person's emotions if you expect to mitigate or manage them or keep them safe. Yeah, the whole movie, I'm thinking, how would I handle this? Where would I shut him down? Where would I indulge this fantasy or another? And both Anne and Catherine are pretty judicious in how they handle him. They're pretty patient. They're pretty loving to the extent that they're, you know, not willing to kind of be walked all over. I think all you can do is try and honor their emotions and be patient and be careful to take care of yourself, too. And whether that means ultimately finding a home where someone can be cared for clinically and living out your best life or managing it to the extent that you can and that your life will bear, like, there are no answers. It seemed like Anne genuinely wanted to care for her father and did until the point that she needed to, she needed to make a change. It wasn't necessarily something personal and you'd like to think that maybe Antony would want her to even though she was his second favorite daughter, you'd think that he'd want her to live out her best life in Paris. But um, I don't know. There's just no right answer here. Absolutely. That's probably what mom, if she has her faculties about her, will say is she doesn't want to mess up your life in kind of tending to her life. And it was definitely Anne's full-time job. I think you're absolutely right. The theme of this is, unfortunately, there are no answers. It's, just, it's her day-to-day -day existence without a fix, at least not an obvious fix. I feel like navigating family tragedy like Lucy is hard enough, even if you're of a sound mind. But imagine all that pain and regret being folded into your confusion and your agitation, where you maybe forget what happened to your daughter and you have to see the pain on Anne's face every time Lucy is brought up when he says he wishes and can't wait for her to come by so they can be glued to each other. Or meaner stuff like she's my favorite daughter and she was and she was the real talent in the family. I don't feel like those are jabs at Anne specifically. I think he's on for Laura and maybe he kind of forgets who's listening. He was. Yeah, it was strange. This movie was very strange and you couldn't tell who was being deliberately mean. Like I you said it was horrible when Paul was smacking Anthony around and I wasn't sure I was allowed to feel my utter hatred for that character because I wasn't exactly sure it was happening. This movie was beautifully cast. I think Olivia Coleman was perfect. Uh, Anthony Hopkins was he seems like he should have been an obvious choice, but was so perfect and threw himself so much into the role, which he says, strangely enough, was really easy. 
He said this was the most fun he's had ever had on a movie, maybe. And it seems like he put himself through a lot. And he, But he said he was an easy character to play. He must have found the rhythm. He was delighted with everyone he was working with. This doesn't seem like an easy or a fun movie to make, but I'm happy that he went all out. Uh, I like Mark Gatiss. Rufus Sewell is easily contemptible for me, so that was fine. Imogen Poots has been around in my mind since 28 weeks later, and I think she is hampered by a terrible haircut, which she's maintained for like two decades. And honestly, the, the biggest drawback to this movie for me was just it was another terrible haircut movie. But it wasn't a movie that required or focused on haircuts. I mean, if we want to get nitpicky about haircuts, why can't women just go for clean, short cuts? Why do they always have to do the little pixie ear hair thing? I don't know. So I didn't know what The Father was about. The Sneak told me that it was about, that it had Anthony Hopkins and that it was based on a play. But this could have been anything. Like I said, I was always teetering on the edge of whether or not this was good for me or bad for me. And so I've been teetering on the edge for my review because it was hard and it was close to home and it was very sad. And it's hard for me to reckon the idea that anybody had fun making this movie like Anthony Hopkins says. This is absolutely a good movie for me. I'm glad I watched it. I will try to get Kelly to watch it as an excuse for me to watch it again. I think it tipped for me. I think it went into totally territory. It's very simple, but it has a lot to say. And for that reason, I'm going to officially give The Father a totally rating. Wow. Thank you for giving me Anthony Hopkins back. I hope he continues in this vein and doesn't ride the crest of his, you know, umpteenth Academy Award nomination. And thank you to the father for getting Wes out of his nopey mopey mode. <laughs> did you think that coming in that I might have noped this movie? Yeah, wow. I did. But you came in so fresh. That being said, I don't, I mean, did you come in expecting that I'd be a good? I expected that you would be a good because I figured you would think this is relic done right. <laughs> well, that's true. Did I think that you would love this movie, that you would frame the father poster and put it on your wall? No, but I would be surprised if you said you didn't appreciate this movie for what it was. It's kind of a boring movie when, you, when you're talking about <laughs> sitting down and watching something. It was well-crafted. It was well-acted. Not only was the story and the setting very contained, but the theme was very contained, and they hammer it over and over and over again until you start to really feel and see the nuances of what Anthony's character is going through or succumbing to. All right, well, there you got it. That's our review on The Father. You got a totally from Wes and a good boring from Iris. Wait, what? And a good from Iris. Let us know what you think. Follow us on Instagram at or whatever movies. Please subscribe to our podcast. Please share it with your friends. Please rate us. That's a good way to help people find us. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives 
one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid.